Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Screen Strong Families podcast, bringing you the best solutions for parents who are serious about eliminating screen conflicts in their home. Okay. Hello, everybody. Welcome to today's book of the month talk with our author. This is the third time we've done this, um, being it's March, and we are loving this so much. It is such a treat to have the author on after we've read the book all month and kind of conversed about it, and then to have the actual author here. It's pretty cool. So if you don't know me, I am the marketing director for Screen Strong, and wherever on your screen, Olivia can wave is our programs director. Oh, wrong, Olivia. Sorry. We'll get to you, Olivia. We've got two Olivias on here today, but we've got Olivia, um, our programs director. And then of course, Melanie, our founder of Screen Strong there is right there. And she is amazing. And why we are all here today. If you have any questions at all through today's discussion, feel free to put them in the chat um, and we will try to get to them. We've got a few that came in early that we're going to get to here in a few minutes. But if you have a question that you want answered, go ahead and put in the chat and we'll do our best to have Olivia answer those. So without further ado, I want to first turn this over to Melanie, our founder, and then she'll introduce our author. Okay. Thank you so much, Mandy. And um, thank you, Olivia, for all the hard work you're doing there behind the scenes to get us going here today. So I just want to introduce myself. I'm Melanie Hempy. I think most of y'all have heard about uh, some of our podcasts and our group and everything just from being in the Facebook group, the Facebook um, Screen Strong Families group. But I, as you know, have a background with my four children. My oldest became very addicted to video games back during a time in our culture where the word video game addiction really wasn't um, heard of. In fact, people looked at you sort of crazy when you said things like, could my son be addicted to this stuff? And he ended up, um, because I had no education, I had no information, I didn't know what I was doing, I was struggling all alone, like many of y'all are feeling like you're alone. Um, He ended up playing, you know, kind of all through high school, went to college, he dropped out because little gamers grow up to be big gamers. And they don't wake up one day and start doing something different. So he played video games all through his first year of college and didn't finish his classes. And when I came home after picking him up from that experience, literally the week that I brought Adam home, you know, and I had this gamer in his hoodie back on my sofa, I got a phone call from a good friend of mine who suggested that I get this book (laughs) to read And thank goodness that she did. So I ordered PlayStation Nation and I read all about Olivia Bruner and Kurt Bruner and their story and their family. Olivia didn't know me then, but she became my best friend then (laughs) through the book because I was so excited to find another mom who was like, I felt like she had lived in my house. She was experiencing everything that I was experiencing and it validated everything that we were struggling with. And that is half the battle. Half the battle is understanding that you're not alone, that someone has been ahead of you and they've gone before you and they've experienced this and her book and all of her stories in here really, really helped us. And I kind of joke about it. If you've heard our podcast with Olivia, you heard me say that everywhere I went, I carried my book and I made people read it. (laughs) And if they didn't read it, I would I would read it to them and I would force them. It was kind of obnoxious actually. Cause I remember one time in an airplane, the poor guy next to me, I think he had, he heard the whole story a couple times cause it was a long flight out to California. I'll never forget that. But I love this book. It was truly my lifeline. And we are thrilled to have Olivia um, now in our, in our village. 
in our tribe, our Screen Strong tribe. She's back. And we're just thrilled to have her today to talk to y'all just from her gut and her vast years of experience. Um, she's, she's only 29 years old, but she has a lot of experience. <laughs> no, Olivia, I'm going to let you finish introducing yourself and uh, explain um, a little bit more about how you got so wise and why we're, we're just so excited to have you here. I am happy to be here. And I'm a little sad because when I hear Melanie tell that story, I think, oh, I wish I would have known you back then, you know, because <laughs> then we could have partnered up 15 years ago yeah. because that was, that was probably the time where I was getting discouraged because I was giving this message out to people and they were, again, looking at me. We were a very lone voice. And I was, people were looking at me like I was a crazy person. And so these decisions that we were making, I, I didn't really have a community around me. We were making them all alone. So um, even the writing of the book was that same process. So I too, too bad, but that's all right. I'm thankful for now and just the accidental way that we reconnected. Yeah. And um, I'm thankful for another opportunity to just get on this message. And I think it's even more important now. So um, yeah, I'm happy to be here. Good. I feel very honored that you've all re hopefully read the book or at least listened to the podcast. And I think we'll have some good discussion. Yes, yeah. for sure. Thank you so much. I love hearing that story too. And to think that that was back then and how it's all, I love how things circle back around again and you're still being used Olivia Bruner <laughs> today, you know, and helping so many people still. Um, so I'm just going to start off our discussion today with a couple of quotes that I pulled out of the book. And just, if you want to elaborate a little bit more on them, it doesn't have to be long, but I think it just, there were a couple that stood out to me and then we'll get on to some questions. Okay. But you had said in there, my great concern for my son was not that playing video games would turn him into an evil person, despite a clear tendency towards increased agitation, discontent, and unrest. My concern was that he would become a less joyful person with diminished um, capacity to drink in the beauty, excitement, and passion of real life. And then the next one I found that went right with it was one of the great tragedies associated with video game addiction is the lost potential of an emerging generation. Mm -hmm. So how have your feelings changed, stayed the same since you wrote those words? Yeah, I would just say um, probably everybody knows my story if you listen to the broadcast, but um, I would say that it has just confirmed, it's been confirming like through the years now, it's just gotten stronger with the use of cell phones and iPads and all the ways that people can game. And we are seeing the lost potential of especially the, the, the guys and the men in our culture that the potential that they had to do so much is very much either being poured into the gaming world or honestly into nothing, you know, because of the addiction process. So, I mean, I, it's just more confirming for me. And I know if you listen to, we have two younger children that we're raising now um, and they're 10 and 12 and, you know, just doing it again. Sometimes I think, Oh, if I could just have the wisdom of a 57 year old at a, in a 30 year old body, you know, because <laughs> uh, now there is not even a slight tinge of, of, of wonder. Am I doing it right with Haley and Cody? I am. I'm so happy to just live this happy screen free life with them and let them grow up full potential forward. And then the other thing is I would say watching now my 30 year old, 20-year-old, 28-year-old, and 22-year-old telling me that that was the best decision that we made as a family was to change mm -hmm. the gaming in our home and change the screens in our home. So I'm just more positive and more sure about the message. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So let's start in. We, these are a few questions that we gathered via Facebook. 
Facebook or that came in through our email. Um, and I thought this one was a good one. You kind of just touched on it a smidge, but since this book was written, smartphones and iPads have become hugely popular. Did the authors imagine the issues would ever with those would be as big or bigger than video games? And um, yeah, and <laughs> that's a good question. I know. I don't think we could imagine it, honestly, mm. back then. Just like I couldn't even imagine when that first Nintendo 64 was given to us that it would become a problem. You know, I, I don't think until you have the experience and the research that you can imagine it. So even when cell phones first came out, this is another reason I wish Melanie and I would have known each other back then, but that was a whole new world to us. So we mm. look back at that short period of time and we didn't give it to our kids, but we still we still would handle it differently today because at the beginning you're like, okay, this is different. This is what, you know, and, and would they need it for whatever communication? And so you start trying to make those decisions. So I, I don't think we can imagine, I, I do think I can imagine, I did imagine the problem that it would become, but I didn't understand the extent of um, the availability that it was going to be and how it was going to be really just part of every child um, in the future. Yeah. And Melanie and I talked about this in the podcast that we said four out of five or three out of five kids. And I think now it's five out of five kids, like mm -hmm. every child, mm -hmm. you know, no one is saying no anymore at all because it is so culturally accepted, you know, and the parents are just here. Yeah. So yeah. Easy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. True. And she also added that, um, <laughs> curious, do you have any updates on anyone mentioned in the story in any of your, the gamers that you interviewed? Have you ever gotten any updates on them? Yes, I actually do. I stay in contact with a few of them, especially Thomas in the book, who was the mother that I asked, what do you think about homeschooling about, sorry, what do you think about, she homeschooled him and what do you think about gaming? And um, he was the one that had just come home from college, I mean, law school basically and said, I, I can't do this anymore. All I'm doing is gaming and I can't pass law school. And um, I just talked to him recently and just since I connected with Melanie and just what he's doing and how that changed his life. And yeah, so I, we do have uh, contact with some of those guys and they're, they're men now raising families, but the most contact I have is with my three sons, of course, you know, and their lives are completely different because of the, the changes that they made. Wow. That's so awesome. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, okay. So on to another question. And we've been seeing this kind of theme a lot lately with Screen Strong um, in our group, in the families group, um, with parents that are just coming into this information and they're going, oh my gosh, my child's already teenager, you know, later teens. So this particular person said, I have an 18 year old who struggles with video game and screen addiction. It seems to be a place for him to hide when struggling. I'm discouraged with the realization that he is this age and is paralyzed by struggles that I believe are very much due largely to his addiction. With him still in our home, can you speak about how we can set firm boundaries, encourage him and pull him out of the virtual world? If he were 14, I feel as if we would have more options. Oh, to go back five years and know what we know now. Yeah, Melanie and I have talked about this a lot. And first, I just wanna say, don't, don't feel guilty because, you know, we all know what we know and we get it when we get exposed to things, that's when we can make the decisions. And I, I felt guilty for a while. I was like, Oh, I just would have known, you know, but hopefully I would say, um, he's still living in your home. So you clearly have a relationship with him, right? So build, build that relationship, um, begin to discuss with him, the addiction and the patterns and what you're reading, maybe ask him to read something with you also begin to have boundaries. If he's living in your house, you can make some decisions for in your house, this is what it's gonna look like, right? 
Um, we're not going to have it in our house, or if we do, it's going to be in the kitchen um, so that we're going to watch that time. Um, I think when they're 18, you know, you want them to be working and have a job and of course fill that time if they're living in your home. Um, so you do have some leverage still, but, um, huge relationship building at that point too, and mentoring kind of thing, and maybe even some counseling, um, you know, to just move them, move them forward in that, in that way. But it's going to be decisions that they're going to make along the way, but you're going to hopefully educate them and help them make those through relationship. Yeah, let me add to that, Olivia. I, I, yeah. you're, you, of course, I totally um, agree. I think you and I both have learned a lot about the importance of relationships with our kids. And when you're raising little kids and even through middle school and part of high school, it feels very custodial. It feels like you're driving carpool all the time. You're making lunches, you're making dinner, you're trying to just keep the machine going. But what I feel like I wish I had done, um, more of with my son, of course, and even with my next one in line, my daughter was to create some scheduled time one-on-one -on -one with them on a regular basis. And so if you have a 16, 17, 18, even year old still in your home or even older, you can start today. You can't go back. Like I wish I could go back, <laughs> trust me, and do a lot of things differently, but I can't. What I would recommend and really encourage is just start today. Like when, when we're done with this meeting, start today and write down, figure out, get with them and figure out one or two times a week that you can spend purposeful time with them. And that may just be Let's go get coffee on Saturday morning at 10 o'clock every Saturday, or let's take a walk after dinner on Thursday nights. Or if they're starting to move out and they're not even in your house, how about every Wednesday night, you and I meet and we go get tacos every Wednesday night. Try to get um, schedule time because this time with our kids, Olivia, you totally agree. I know because um, I'm in your head. I totally get, I know that you'll agree with this. It won't just happen spontaneously like it did when they were little. Yeah. So we have to get a lot of, um, uh, we have to use our frontal cortex <laughs> and use our executive function skills to say, wait a minute, I got to plan ahead for this because they need us now more, I think in some respects than they needed us when they were 12 years old. Yeah. And I think, I think you're really, you need to become their life coach at this point, mm -hmm. right? You need to be the person. If someone is life coaching you, they're meeting with you a couple times a week reading yeah. books with you. I, I really, I was not exposed to breaking the trance until Melanie told me about that book. And I said, I'm so thankful this book is out there because that's for the family who has a 17, 18, 19 year old who is really struggling and needs maybe more. It's not just the gaming. The gaming is a huge part of it, but there's probably a lot of other things going on too, mm -hmm. where you might need to just make a whole schedule and a contract. I mean, you're dealing with a lot. So you can do that in those life coaching sessions with this person that you love and they know you love them. This is why you're doing it. Um, so it's a building of the relationship and also coaching them at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. So good. So good. It's all about spending time. Yeah. It's, time and you can't be on your screens while you're doing that. It's time. Yeah, and I, and I would say don't take off the timetable of a, of a normal child. You know, if you've got an eight year old that's struggling, don't feel like, Oh, but they're already 18. That's all right. Mm -hmm. If it takes them till they're 23, 24 to get these yeah. things, you know, going and get their skills. It's okay. 
they have the rest of their life. That's going to be worth it. Those two or three years are going to be worth the next 50 years of their life. So don't beat yourself up that they should be have a job. They should be in college. No, forget all that. Just get them healthy, get them at a good point with their screens, and then they can move forward with life later, you know? And we know yeah. that if they're struggling with screens, let me add one more thing. If they're struggling with screens, the point in time when they started struggling with the dependency, that's what you have to go back to with, with any addiction or dependency. There is a phenomena that happens where psychologically the child, the person, the teen, even the adult gets stuck in that stage of development. So if they were 14, when they started overusing their screens and pulling away from your family, but, but physically they're 18 now, mentally, in many respects, they're still 14. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you have to I, go back. Yeah. And, and I kind of compare that to, so we, our youngest two that we have at home, we adopted and we adopted them out of foster care. And so they had a lot of trauma and I used to at first be thinking, you, you know, oh, I'm like, they, they should be reading by now, or they should be able to have a conversation with someone by now. And I realized, wait a minute. I have to go back to when they came into our house, they missed four years of their lives and I have to give them all that extra time. And mm -hmm. it's probably the same with this, where your, your child, if he's 18 and had four or five years of video game addiction or screen addiction, he's been in trauma. He or she mm -hmm. have been in some trauma and you have to kind of rebuild those years and, and yeah. don't worry about it. Just your grace and love in that is really going to give them hope for their future. Oh, wow. That's so good. I'm sitting here going... That's like, makes you really think. And it makes so much sense when you really sit down and think about it. But there was a quote, I remember just popped in my head is he who spends the most time wins, you know? Mm -hmm. And that was, it's like, so whatever is getting our child's time the most is what's going to win. If it's mm -hmm. video games, that's what's winning. If it's us, then we're winning, you know? Yeah, so yeah. that's excellent advice. And the next question was similar. I don't even know if we need to, I'll just kind of mention it, but it's basically along the same lines. Son is 17, has been a perfect straight A student. Um, you know, ACT high score into Boy Scouts, tennis, all these things. And over quarantine, the thing, the rules got loosened on gaming and now he's fully addicted, staying up all night. But the parent, this was a parent I talked to, and I think she would like this question answered, but you know, she's like, how do I get him back? I feel like if I set a boundary and take away the gaming, then I lose my son and I don't have a relationship anymore. But when he has his game, I feel like we have a relationship. What do you say to that? mom that's going, I can't fight with, like, I'm scared to take it away because I'm going to lose him then. Oh, that is so funny that you said that. I was just talking to my husband last night and I said, I wish I would have had more courage earlier. So we use that scared word and it's because we don't have the courage to do the hard thing in the moment because we're afraid. And there's the fear is what paralyzes us. And, and she doesn't need, when you were telling me the story at the beginning, I thought you, it's only been since COVID take it, take it back. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Take it back. You know, just take it away and say, Hey son, I am so sorry that I loosened this. I never should have done that. You know, this is what we're seeing. You've had a year of it. I am so sorry. Have that courage. You know, I understand the nervousness. It's almost the same nervousness as, as deciding to discipline your toddler. You know, you're like, oh, I don't want to do it because it's hard, you know? And, and so I would just say in this case, just say, Hey, it's only been that long go for it. Like go back to where you were. It's going to be hard, maybe a hard month. Um, but just praise him for all those beautiful things he does do. And, um, really smart kids can do really well in a lot of stuff and play video games all the time, you know, for X amount of time until it takes over their brain, like Thomas in the book. And then you won't be able to do that anymore. 
So it's not going to last. And the relationship we have with her, she has with him right now, he's managing that with her. He knows that, you know, hey, I've got a good relationship. If I just manage this, I can keep all my time because his brain is beginning to tell him, I like this better. I want this all the time. So for her to just have that courage to push him through that at this point, she not, she's not going to regret it. No. And he's got all those great experiences. He'll remember very quickly um, what, what's good about life <laughs> other than that. Yeah. That's excellent. Excellent yeah. advice. I love that. It reminds me, I believe it was the author break of the trance, Melanie. I think he's the one that said it takes raw courage. Like he had this line that he said that grabbed us all made us like cry. <laughs> it's like, yeah. what's it? It just play, it takes raw courage. Yeah. That's what you need to do this. It's yeah. And I think that the older they are in some respects, you do have a little bit more of an advantage. If you can look at the glass half half full, like I always try to do. Um, there's advantages and disadvantages at every age when you're trying to make adjustments, but when they're 17 or 18 years old, they're definitely more mature. They're not totally mature, but they are more able to reason than they were when they were 14 or 15 even. So maybe this is the good time to have them read some stuff with you. Mm-hmm. And have a, um, you know, even on our website, we have a bunch of TED Talks, you know, watch, like I love, I mean, this will sound random, we're not talking about pornography right now, but The Great Porn Experiment is a wonderful TED Talk to watch with the men in your house. Um, It explains that, you know, get them into more of the science and thinking about what's happening because like the frog boiling in the water, they don't know what's happening to them. And because they're older now and- like with Adam, I felt like he was so much smarter than me in many levels. He wasn't wise. Okay. But he could have picked this up really quickly. If I had this information to say, this is what's happening to your brain. Mm -hmm. And it's all about that reward system. And your reward system is getting really paved and it's kind of getting paved with the wrong thing. And um, it's going to be really hard to reverse. And you know, if you can get the science in, and that's what I love so much about Screen Strong. I love that we focus on the science and um, the science is very powerful for even that age and even younger kids, you know, um, our little video that we have on the teenage brain, it's only a few minutes long. I use that a lot with my kids. I, they watch it. We talk about the amygdala. We talk about different things when they have a meltdown. You know, I have words to, it's kind of funny. We kind of use some humor around it. But with that age, you can, um, you have more latitude. So don't. Our little little Haley was listening to the podcast with me yesterday because she said, mom, can I listen to the second one with you? So we listened and she stopped it when I said that I would feel badly about taking it away. And she stopped it and she goes, mom, you shouldn't feel badly about taking it away. You should feel badly if you give them the thing that's bad for their brain. Like it was hilarious. I'm like, Oh honey. (laughs) And so it's like, ignore that feel badly for, Oh, you don't get to have something that you want, you know, and push through. I'm, I'm going to feel badly if later I see that they don't go to college and they don't do well and have all these lost potential in life because I I didn't take a month or two to help them get back on the right path. Yeah. Yeah. So good. So good. Okay. I have another question on here and then we'll see if there's any in the chat, but this is kind of takes us off the older child thing, but just in general, why is it not okay to use video gameplay as a reward? If my child is getting all their chores done and their grades look to be fine and all that, why can't we use screen time as a reward? 
Well, 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 the age old question. <laughs> We've all done it. Yeah. <laughs> One time or another. Yeah. Um, it, I mean, Melanie says it best, better than me. She says, it, you know, you don't give things as rewards that you don't value. And for, for me, I always, our, our idea of no reward was the Pavlonian dog thing, you know, where every time you feed a dog, they would, you know, if you give them something, they go ring the bell, you know, you're training their brain to only do other activities to get to that reward. I had a mom tell me when she was writing the book that she would tell her son, you have to go outside for a half an hour before you can play. So he would, and she was like, okay, great. This is working. He's playing outside. Well, one day she just happened to look outside. He was pacing back and forth, <laughs> waiting to get back in the house to play his game because he couldn't get on to another activity because all he could think about was in 30 minutes, I get to play my game. So you're training their brain like you train a dog, sit and you get a treat, you know? So you're training them do your half an hour of piano and you get to do this thing that's going to like light up your brain like crazy. And that what I saw in Kyle when we did that was he began to he began to lose his love of everything else and only did those things for the reward of the video game. When I took it away completely, he began to enjoy those things again. So uh, that was kind of our reasoning, not not to make that a common mistake. But I love Melanie's addition to that, where she says, you wouldn't give your kids a reward if you don't value it. Something yeah. that would be a reward would maybe be time or an activity together, something that you value as a family. Yeah. I definitely think that using screen um, activities as a reward makes the obsession worse mm -hmm. yeah. because you are putting it up on that pedestal. You are saying this is the thing we value the most in our house. So therefore this is what we're working toward. And I don't ever want my kids to work toward an addictive activity. Um, even if they're working toward something on the screen that maybe you would say maybe isn't addictive. I, it's still, I want them to um, value, like you said, Olivia, you know, things that are meaningful and, and really valuable um, like spending time with people. So our rewards always center around certain outings. Um, even if it's just getting yogurt with one of the kids, like my husband will go one-on-one -on -one with them. And I will tell you this, and I haven't remembered this in a really long time. And I, and my brain just got a little memory. Um, when Adam was playing video games and when we had no clue what we were doing through his high school years, the one thing that my husband, um, kept doing and it was hard was once a week um like on a tuesday after dinner they would go get ice cream and chris did this continuously um religiously <laughs> he did it through the hard times and the really really tough times when we did not really like our son at that point, I'll be honest, it was causing his gaming was causing so much conflict in our home, but Chris would go. And for some reason, Adam would appear from the basement on Tuesday, you know, at 730 and be waiting for, you know, dad to go take him. And I thought that now I looking back, Olivia, you know, if only we could go back and redo things. He was really telling us, 
this is what I value more than my game is getting a few minutes with you alone. We have four kids in our house, getting a few minutes alone with you, even in the midst of his dark gaming days, he would rise out of the basement for that. So I'm just putting that together. I'm having a little emotional moment right now thinking about that. I was going to say that that is beautiful because it's so true because he, he continued to want that connection with him yes. and, and continued to make that a priority, which was, that's an amazing thing that you guys kept doing that. But technology is a tool, right? And it's an incredible tool that we can use to, for very good things. But, um, you, you know, you wouldn't probably be a reward for your kids to say, okay, now you've done all this stuff. Now you can work on your PowerPoint for school. <laughs> Like they're not going to go, yay, that's a great reward because to them, right. It's not going to feed the dopamine in their brain, but yet that's how we should be using technology. Technology mm-hmm. is for, I'm using it for school or I'm using it for this project or I'm using it for, you know, that's how we all should be using it. I'm using it for a zoom meeting for school or whatever they're having, having to use it for. Mm-hmm. Um, and those aren't rewards. Those aren't, you know, the kinds of things that um, usually will feel like a reward to their brain. The reason why by gaming and screen time feels like a reward is because it is like a drug and it feeds the dopamine in their brain. So it is like giving them a box of donuts, you know, at one time and they cram them all in and all of a sudden they get this super rush in their brain. That feels like a reward, like being at a carnival or a on thrill ride. And to do that every day as a reward system, you're making the problem worse. And also, um, just to finish my last thought about the Adam outing that that Chris did with him many times. In fact, the majority of the times that they would go, my husband would come home and say, he did not say a word. We sat there. I tried to talk to him. He didn't really, you know how it is when you're trying to talk to a teenager and they're just not helping the conversation and week after week, that would get really hard. But Chris continued to do it in silence many times. It was just the fact, I think that he was taking that priority to spend time with Adam and Adam felt valued. So it wasn't even that they had just incredible earth shattering conversations. It was just that he was investing that time. And the second thing I'll say is it is our job as parents to mentor our children, children from the very beginning all the way through their their growing up years to mentor them on what is a reward in their life and how to pick good rewards. This is something I don't think parents even think about. I don't think we even give it a second thought. We want to be able to launch our kids into the world choosing uh, good rewards and making good choices and knowing that, you know, going to the bar and drinking all night, maybe isn't such a great reward. You know, any other addictive thing isn't a reward. If we're training them early to say, this is a reward and yes, it's addictive. It feels good. It's you're getting all this stuff. I mean, is that really what we want to do? We don't even know we're doing that, Olivia. I I don't think most of us realize that's what, that's what we're doing. No, it's true. Yeah. It's good. Hope that helps. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's excellent. It's so excellent. Okay. So this is kind of, I think it's one of our last questions and we'll start working on closing up, but this might take us a minute. Um, but let's talk about the issue of playing video games on smartphones. Um, because obviously back when you wrote this book, smartphones were not a thing. So you had to have a physical console and you still had fame. I know my kids time and I was like, 
border console. I'm not buying that. Um, but now we've got little phone iPads right in front of us. Um, and every little kid when our teenager has a smartphone. Talk to us about what your thoughts are on that. I guess it's not a specific question, but how has no, that changed? That's really good because you're not, they have a lot of kids have those phones and they, you're not with them. Right. So the only way you can do that, which of course I would say zero, zero games on the phone, um, is you have to do it through an app protection kind of thing, get covenant eyes on there, get something on there where they're not allowed to download apps basically without your permission. And so they can't have any apps on their phones that are games because it's just too hard. Um, my 22 year old who is a musician travels on a bus and <clears throat> a lot of stuff that they do on that bus, you know, the guys, they'll play video games while they're, while they're driving eight hours, you know, somewhere, or they'll all be on their phones playing. And, and, um, of course he's 22. So, you know, he can do whatever he wants, but every once in a while we'll it's funny. We'll get this, uh, we'll get this note from him that says, Hey, will you, uh, put, put Kevin and I, or put this back on my phone so that I can't, cause he's married now. So he, he and his wife have that, but he worked that out of the, the accountability, but he'll, he'll, get to dad and say, dad, okay, put this back on there. So I can't get any more apps on my phone. Like I need to take them all off again. Cause he gets drawn into it. Everybody's playing it. You know, everybody's, and that phone is with you 24 seven in here. He's got these beautiful videos to produce and <clears throat> music to write. <clears throat> and he knows I don't want to be on a, uh, whatever it is they play on their phone, you know, for 50 hours on the bus. So anyway, I just think when they're in your home, you're paying for that cell phone. If you even give it to them at all, which is a whole other conversation, but if they have a smartphone and you are paying for it, no gaming apps on it, period. And there are plenty of protections that you can make sure they cannot download any kind of gaming app. And I think you should have their phones anyway at night. And so if you need to double check that every day, you can, and don't let them say, Oh, you don't trust me. It has nothing to do with that. I, I trust, I don't trust you because you don't have the ability to say no to this, right? This is for your protection. This is to protect you. At this stage, we don't want you addicted to games on your phone and we don't want you on your phone that much. So, you know, it's an easy one because it, I think when phones first started coming out, it was harder. Of course, they didn't have the games because we didn't have the covenant eyes and all the things that you could do. And even the cell phone companies now have things that you can put on the phone where you, they can't download apps and no app stores. So really what you end up doing is if you give them a smartphone, you're, you're giving them a smartphone for basically a base, the use of a basic phone. You know, you don't want them to be able to have all those things on there anyway. So. Well, we of course recommend the Gab phone and um, we have a, a code strong that you can use to even get a discount on that. And I have, um, I would much rather just not have my kids have a smartphone. If the Gab phones weren't around, they wouldn't have any phone. I kind of like this idea of you know, free range kids, raising kids, you know, even without a gap phone. I mean, I've, I love this idea of getting kids out in the real world and letting them be innovative and creative and figure out where they're going, fig, you know, figure out how they have to think ahead. They can't always call mommy when they left their tennis shoes at home or something. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of in that mode of um, training my kids to do life offline and without a smartphone, I know for a hundred percent fact that if my kids had a smartphone, they would be gaming. And even I know if I try to put whatever parental controls on it, um, if y'all listen to Adam's podcast, I think it was on Tuesday on that interview where he, he talked about what he did to get around all of our parental controls and they're very savvy. They're not devious. That's just, they're smart. They are innovative. And after, you know, 
my work with Screen Strong and all the families that come through and all the people that I end up talking with and having lunch with and having breakfast with and having dinner with, and I hear all the sad stories of these boys that are getting caught in not only their gaming world um, by being on their phone gaming and interacting with people that you don't even know, but all the pornography that is associated with that and all the sexting that's associated with it. And so my rule of thumb is the smaller the screen, the harder it is to manage and the more toxic it is going to become. So I think that we are in a cloud if we think that our kids are not going to be gaming on a smartphone. I do not think teenagers need smartphones. I think there are many options or at least one good option out there. I think when you train your child on a smartphone, eventually when they get one, that's what we always tell our kids, you will eventually have a smartphone mm -hmm. when you're an adult. When you're yeah. an adult and that you can see the look on their face like, oh, you're not you're not this big old mean mom who says I should never have a smartphone. No, but eventually you're going to have one when you're an adult and your brain can handle it. Yes. And you can learn that smartphones are not for gaming. That's not yeah. what the tool yeah. is for. That's when you're going to be able to have it. So there's just no reason to have it now. And, you know, that's going to be a courageous sentence coming out of your mouth. But they'll get yeah. over it and they'll be fine. Well, and the other thing is, Livia, I don't, I, my, my 16 year old boys and even Adam, when they get married, when they have their own family, they don't need to be gaming on their phone. I mean, it's like they need to be paying attention to the world around them, to their children, to their wife. So, uh, you know what you want to say gaming for 10 minutes a day is okay. Well, nobody can do that. You know, that's like eating right. one potato chip. So right. I, I'm just trying to make it not a big deal. I, yeah. I think the bigger that we make it, you know, the worse it gets for them. And I think the more we pour positive things into their life, the more attractive those things are going to be for them. Yeah, Melanie. I, I just got a question that someone just texted me. <laughs> um, so I'm going to read this. Okay. It says, can you ask Olivia, what can I do before I go to therapy with my child? I don't want to go to that step. However, we need to do something. It's getting out of hand. That's kind of a really good question, Livia. Can you just maybe give us two or three things to do before you go to that step? Because I, How I, old is the child? this is a middle school child. She's in middle school and it's a daughter. And um, I want you to answer this because I do not pull the trigger on therapy very quickly in my book, because I know so many therapists that have really hurt no, no offense to therapists, yeah. but I know too many that have taken the side of the child and it's been a disaster. So no, I would agree with that completely. I would say read if they haven't read breaking the trance, read that first, right? Um, if you have a junior hire, you still have complete control. You know, you do, you're going to have to do it with heavy relationship, hopefully you and your spouse. And if there isn't a spouse, you know, just with you, but um, if it's getting out of control, then take the phone away. If it's a phone, um, take everything away and um, start pouring into them, start having that conversation with them. Um, just start with taking the seven day challenge, but in your head, you know, it's actually going to be longer. Don't tell them that particularly at this point, you don't need to, but start with seven days of nothing and start with lots of time with them that week and then move into now we're going to do 30 days and then I'm going to do the research. Even say it like that. You know, I think mom's done a I think we've done you a disservice by letting you have all this. I am so sorry. We're going to back up. We're going to do the research. It's out there now, which is great. You don't really have to. It's really, really going to read the research, you know, and then yeah. find it, read it, 
start the discussions, um, do all that before therapy. She says she's being, she just texted again. She said she's being very sassy and I'm afraid she's going to hate me. Oh, she won't. She will actually for about two or three months. Yeah. Um, And she will be sassy, but she doesn't have control. She doesn't drive. She doesn't do any of that. But again, you, you need to pour into her while you're doing that. And I, I, you know, you just say, I I know that you don't love me right now, but I love you. And this is why I'm doing this. I want to support you in this. And eventually you'll have technology back but I've given it to you too young and has messed with your brain. I'm very sorry. Um, and then find some really great other things for her to be doing over the next month. Mm-hmm. I, that sounds so much easier than it is. And I'm so sorry. Like I know I'm, those words are coming out of my mouth, like, Oh, just do it, you know, and it's not easy. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, it takes a lot of courage and strength. If you can at all lighten your own personal schedule so that you have the time and strength to do that. That would be great. Sometimes you can't. So you just do the best you can but it'll be worth it in the end. Really. They want, like you said, Melanie, they want to connect with you. They just don't know it right now. And this in the chat, but my son has autism. His addictive behavior centers around YouTube videos. Any thoughts? And he's 13. Yeah. I, I saw that in the chat box and I was going to uh, chat back, but I, th- I think unfortunately as easy as that is to hand to an autistic child, I, I I'm not an autistic specialist, but I don't think it's healthy for them either because it is, um, again, giving their brain that drug and they don't know it, but it, it feels really good to them. And I, I think Melanie, who was it that you talked to on your podcast with the three boys and one of them was autistic. Remember? Yeah. Mary Thorne. Yes. And she talked about how it changed him in who he was, even in, in, in the severity of his autism and the things when they took the screens away from him. So Yes, it is getting to be more of a uh, scientific and medical um, practice to remove screens from autistic kids because it is stimulating um, an area of their brain that doesn't need any more stimulation. And what these kids need more is physical time looking at people face to face, making that eye contact Um, We have some podcasts that are upcoming that definitely will be talking more about the occupational therapy aspect to this. So in the day, we used to think this was really helpful for autistic and ADHD kids and kids that struggled. But really what we're finding is spinning around on a merry-go-round, playing outside, fishing, walking barefoot in the grass, getting all of this other sensory information and stimulation into our brains is way more healing. Right. I, I did have a situation just like Mary Thorne did with hers. I had a situation about four years ago where a mom of an autistic child came to our workshop and she reported back to me after two weeks of taking her son completely off screens, the teachers called to ask her, had they changed his medication? He was doing so much better in class. And that was so encouraging to me. And I'm not saying that, that this will work all the time, but I definitely think that if you're on a road to recovery or um, more therapy with your autistic child, um, maybe it's not full of course recovery, but I think, other things work much better than screens. And so you want to do the best thing for your child and um, do the research, do the reading, be sure and research the current research out there and read the current research because it's fascinating what's happening in this field. And I'm sympathetic to um, 
mamas with special needs children because I now have am raising you know two from that have had some others too and it is I understand that what we're asking to do is be with them more because they can't go out by side by themselves you know and play and fish by themselves this requires your time and all of that and putting them on letting them do YouTube videos requires you it gives you the ability to make dinner you know and so I understand the complexities of that and that it's not easy but it, it, it is worth it and um, I think like Melanie said you can find other ways um, for mm -hmm. them to enjoy and it will mean a little bit more time for you I know that moms are tired and that that's difficult but it will be worth it um, you know in the end and maybe it even means hiring hiring a babysitter you know or a friend to come and take them fishing for a couple hours or someone that you know really well say, Hey, you know, pulling mm -hmm. in that community and saying, I, I need, I'm exhausted. You know, would you take my child fishing for a couple hours or take him to the zoo or just give me some support in that way? I think, mm -hmm. you know, that, that would be a good way to, to help you in the process of making these changes, especially at the yeah. first, when it's going to be hard for him because he's used to having those YouTube videos to fill that time. But replacing it with art, with drawing utensils, anything that you can do to get their hands busy. Um, this is kind of an odd thing to sort of bring in at the end, but knitting is so good for kids. Yeah. <laughs> and um, crocheting and knitting, it's, it's that hand-eye you know, coordination and that brain working through their hands. And I think they have this desire to click and touch and play and do, and we just have to replace the screen with other things that they can manually do with their hands. That's so good um, for their brains. If y'all ever see the research and the videos on this, it's just fascinating. And of course, music too. Um, yes. if there's any way to get a musical instrument in their hands and they'll obsess with it and they'll play and play, but you want to direct what they're obsessing over and the things they are, are going to obsess over should not do further harm to their yeah. limbic area in their brain. Okay. So Olivia, do you have any advice or encouragement for parents? I don't know. I, I just, I thought about that from the podcast. You know, I'm, I feel like I know I'm not old, but I'm getting older. And I have been doing this for a long time. And looking back, it's like such an amazing thing to have such confidence in these decisions mm -hmm. that I'm making and to realize that um, I did my kids a service because of this. And I helped them in life and I helped them to grow and I helped my own relationship with them. So, so just to be courageous in these decisions and find support. And now, thankfully, the support is out there. It wasn't when I first started doing it. And get on that community of Screen Strong and, um, you know, feel encouraged in that. Thank you mm -hmm. so, so much. Mm -hmm. Melanie, do you have any final thoughts that you have to share? The, the main thing that comes to mind just totally on the heels of what Olivia is saying is to remember that you have a choice we have a choice. We do not have to go 100% with the culture on this. Going 100% with the culture generally is not ever a good idea. Um, usually, <laughs> generally not. So we have a choice and we need to stand up for our kids and we can use technology in a clean fashion and a clean way for clean tech use, but we definitely should detour around the toxic use. It's not worth it. We don't have enough time with our kids the way it is it's impossible for us to spend the amount of time really that we need to spend with them. And this is just taking it away by the bucketfuls. So I just want to really encourage parents exactly what Olivia is saying too, to be confident and to be calm and 
really to have the courage and know that that you have a choice. And unlike Olivia and I, we now have a much bigger community because back Mm -hmm. in the day when we were kind of pioneering this, it was super hard because we had to take a lot of grief from a lot of people. But we have a big community now with Screen Strong. And um, I encourage everyone to look at the ambassador program, to look at the school rep program, um, to jump on board and get involved. Uh, the school rep program is just being the Screen Strong mom in your kid's class and organizing non-tech activities. It is so much fun. And trying to be more positive instead of more negative. So I will, I'll leave you with that thought. Let's, let's be more positive about um, doing fun things with our kids instead of all the negative around saying no. Yeah. And um, make a good choice. Okay. Well, we're going to kind of close up here. Uh, I just want to thank everybody for coming today. Thank you, Olivia, for offering so much insight and just your wisdom from living this out for so long. And um, thank you again for your book. You never knew that all these years later, we'd be who would have known? For your book. My favorites. <laughs> Yay. So good. Maybe we'll come out with a new version eventually. You can actually buy somewhere, but we'll see. <laughs> you want Audible. You got it. You're going to have to narrate this at some point. Yeah, there you go. That would at least help, wouldn't it? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, so next mm-hmm. month, if you haven't seen in our Screen Strong Families group or on our page, we have announced the next month's book for April, and it is Reset Your Brain by Dr. Victoria Dunkley. Um, a four-week plan to end meltdowns, raise grades, boost social skills by reversing the effects of electronic screen time. So this is another one of Melanie's favorite books. That's a must read. I'm excited to dig in. I mean, I've read bits and pieces, but I'm excited to dig in. So look for the Zoom announcement next month. We're typically doing the last week of the month. We try to do the last Friday. So just kind of know last week of the month, you'll be hearing about this Zoom call again. Invite your friends, people to get on. It's so fun. And we'll obviously have Dr. Victoria on here. Um, So let's see if you have not, I hope all of you are familiar with our podcast, but the screen strong families podcast is an incredible resource for you. Um, I know I have a friend, I think she's listening right now that is all is through all of our podcasts, you guys in the last couple of weeks, because she just was like, give it all to me, you know, because it's such great information, great people on there. So be sure to, um, you know, subscribe, rate and share it. And that helps us the visibility a lot more. So if you haven't done that, that'd be awesome. Um, you can head over to our website, our website to learn more about the Screen Strong Challenge that's available, um, that seven-day detox. And then make sure if you're not in our Screen Strong Families Facebook group, we would love you in there. We're up to, I think, 1.7 thousand people that are, you know, in there and wanting to do this and we're supporting each other. And it's just a beautiful thing. So as we always say, we will see you next time. Stay strong, guys. Thank you guys for coming. <laughs>